What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Cat and Cloud podcast. This week, we sit down with Stephen Monty, owner of Art Presso Design. You might know Art Presso as the producer of the Barista Basic line of tools from La Marzocco. And that's how I knew them, too, until I met Stephen. And talking with Stephen and discovering his motivation, inspiration, history and how someone who could feasibly work in design anywhere like anywhere and has worked for some crazy incredible huge companies some of which he can't even talk about because of the things that he's been working on ended up in the coffee industry I think this story is in Incredible for someone who has a nagging passion that's just been kind of bugging them and bugging them and bugging them and finally decides to take action on that. The other thing that goes along with this is he's been helping me pull something out of my head that I was incredibly passionate about. We've been working on a project together. We developed a tamper and it's amazing. And a huge chunk of this episode is dedicated to explaining what that is, the process for creating it, and why it's so different than anything else that exists today. If you want to be inspired, if you're ready to just get totally juiced, dive in. But if you know, if you if you're trying to tuck that idea away, maybe don't go in because you're gonna get pumped. After you listen to this, you're gonna have to do something. You're gonna have to take action on something. If you want to see what we've been working on, you can go on over to artpressodesign.com or catandcloud.com and check it out. I'll leave it at that, and let's get into it with Stephen Monty. Let me tell you a story. Yeah. Um, Jared met you before I did. Yeah. And he was like, dude, there's this guy, Stephen, yeah. and he's making tampers, yeah. and he's got this stuff, and I'm like... I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? Whatever. I mean, He's like, you should come meet him, and I was like, nah, dude, I'm good. It's fine. Like, I don't care. Like, what is it? Like, I don't know. Like, what's the deal? Right. And there's a million people making tampons. Right. That's like where that's that's what my mindset yeah. immediately goes to because I have this problem where I I am kind of like the show me dude, and I'm yep. super protective of the industry, whether that's a good thing or not. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it turns out to be not because I'm sometimes less open to possibility. Yep. But. Where, where everything is going, like, so much is accessible to so many people. Totally. Like, so many people can create basically whatever they want. Like, oh, I have an idea. Like, I can make it, you know. Yep. And how that comes to be takes, like, a bunch of different ways to where there's someone who can, like, do design, build, produce, like, all mm -hmm. in-house stuff that's, like, really thoughtful. Or you're like, hey, here's a here's a sketch, send it over and like bang out, bang it out in China for like right. no quality control. It's like what, what you get is whatever. Right. So, you know, there's like so many different levels to that. So when I see something new pop up and I was like, oh, cool, that someone else is making tampers. Right, like, right, right. I don't get it. <laughs> and then that was kind of my whole lane. And until I met you yeah. at Portola yeah. that one day, you came by yep. and we started talking and I was like, oh, this dude's, this dude's it's actually super nice. dope. Like, <laughs> I was like, told you, bro. This dude's really cool. <laughs> it was real fun to work the booth. Like, yeah, because yeah. you were working the booth. Yeah. And I was like, oh, whatever, dude. I'm, I'm a pain in the ass. So let's, we'll just get that out there right, right away. But then talking to you and like hearing your kind of intention behind the things you create and your story, 
I was like, oh, this dude's head's in the right place. So I think yeah. that's uh, something that we could unpack here to where, okay. you know, you own and run Art Presso Design. Yeah. And, you know, from 50,000 feet, it looks like a company, like, oh, we make tampers and knock boxes and barista accessories mm -hmm. and they're really beautiful and all those things, but your story is much more interesting. So right. I'm, I'm kind of curious as to like, you know, who you are and how someone with your background like ended up in this world of barista, coffee, whatever. Yep. No, that makes sense. So it makes like, total sense. Yeah. Where were, where were you pre pre coffee? Um, so I, I started down the path of coffee with my father. Well, first of all, I say coffee coffee and I Love say, it. and I say espresso with an X most of the time. Um, we so, got an East Coaster on. Yeah, it. you got yeah, an yeah. East Coaster. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is and I'll drop the letter R randomly and then put it in in other places. So let's just start <laughs> let's just start right there. Coffee so, talk. Like <laughs> exactly coffee talk. totally. You like so coffee? if you need to add subtitles or whatever, feel free. Into it. Um, but yeah, so it started um, so my my uh, my father actually was into it and um, and got like this lever machine um, married a woman uh, from Italy and was cranking out um, espressos when I was growing up. And then when I, when I got married and went to Italy, um, instead of coming back, you know, with a pregnant wife, which that was the expectation, right? <laughs> I came back with an espresso machine and, uh, and started down my path as well. So there was always a, um, a passion for it. Mm. There was always a need for it. I didn't start drinking it until a little bit later um, when I started having kids, whatever. Um, so I want to say around near 30-ish, 28, 30-ish, mm. I started drinking it. And then I just became a pursuit of perfection. Right? I was just trying to, to sort of get better and get better at it. And I did, I did all right. I had uh, like a little Pavoni that when you screwed the top off, it blew up that one. I don't yeah, know what, which one it one. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that was something that, that was always a part of my life. And um, then all of a sudden I found out that when me and my wife were traveling, we were, we were picking our destinations based on coffee locations. And so we would like, oh, there's a place here, there's a place there. In fact, I was just talking to you about slow, and we we're like, oh, I, I know a place you can go. And I'm like, fantastic, right? Yeah. So, um, in fact, actually, I just thought about this when I met you the first time in Pat Patola. I, was, I asked you that. I'm like, where can I get coffee? And you go, Captain Stoker down in Monterey, because I was in Carmel, remember? Oh, right, yeah. yeah and you were like, and, and so, uh, so that became the thing, right? Right. Um, and then I, I started thinking of, um, of products that, that could be used within that area. And the reason being was because my day job is industrial design. And so I've worked for numerous companies um, and, and have done everything from baby pacifiers to helicopters to medical equipment and, and just had a really diverse, um, really diverse background. And so I've always been a, a, a problem solver. Mm -hmm. I've always tried to figure out how do you take a user experience and translate that into a better product. Um, and so uh, that's kind of how I, I started to merge the two, yeah. right? So it was like, okay, passion for coffee, passion for design, a lot of problems in coffee, you know, a lot of problems from a design standpoint. Mm -hmm. How do you then start to unpack that and create products that are new in the industry? Uh, the other thing, too, is I know what I don't know, right? And so to partner with people who know and who can kind of, kind of establish a, a collaborative group genius mentality where you leverage everybody, uh, 
you know, we will create better products than me. Right? Absolutely. So if you're if you're kind of like bringing people from different areas, um, you're always going to get to a better solution, right? So that's that a make, great that makes sense. That totally makes sense. <laughs> that's that's like you? one of my favorite mentalities. Okay. Wait, I got to know if you going all the way back because I heard you, you talk about dad and espresso machines. Yeah. Were there any like rules that were given to you and like this is how you make this coffee? Were there anything that you had, any uh, guidelines yeah. you had to follow? Yeah. Yeah. So back the then? guidelines were pretty like I would say and you would know this better than me, right, uh, based on your expertise, was, was beans had to be roasted dark and oily, uh-huh. right? And you, you pulled syrup out of this thing, right? Yep. And, uh, and so that was the goal in the beginning. And you, I love the it, lore. It, that's why I'm asking. It's okay. less about the right way. For me, it's more like, what were you told? Because that's fun to know. Yeah. Like, this is what dad passed down to me. And then, and then in, in, you know, the way you did the milk was pretty much fluff right it was just mm. this soap meringue put yeah, yeah exactly it's just a meringue yeah. yeah and so you know and you don't put sugar in it and it's okay if it's painful to drink mm-hmm. because it's tough yeah right yeah, yeah. tough yeah. men with little cups so tough men with fluffy cups that's the way you go <laughs> yeah because i remember the only the only ones i got because i was a lever machine to start as well okay. and mine was lever has to be down for five seconds yeah. After you release, as long as it's oh, six yeah, seconds totally. or later before the coffee drips out, then it's good. Those are the only two parameters I it. had. So that's why I was yeah. wondering, like, yeah. what were yours? Yeah, totally, there's two, totally. Maybe you, the lever machine that you had, Stephen, was one where when you pull it down, the coffee's coming out, like, as you're pulling, right? Yeah, yeah. Because there's, exactly. there's, there's, like, two different kinds mm-hmm. of lever machines. There's, like, the Pavoni home machine, like you're yep. talking about, which is, like, you are pulling down that lever, which is pushing down the piston, yeah, which is forcing water through the coffee. And then the one that Jared's talking about is when you're pulling down the lever, you're actually Still. drawing the piston up and compressing the spring, mm-hmm. filling this chamber uh, full of brew water. And then cool. when you let the lever go, that releases just the rolls. spring. Yeah. And then the spring comes oh, wow. down. So it's like they look like they're the same yep. kind of yep. machines, but they work totally differently. And so that's like, part of why I was asking. It's so interesting to know. And I'd ask you if, which ones were better, but back then it didn't matter. Yeah, I don't think, I don't <laughs> even, just different styles. I, think I actually think it'd be fun to pull, like, and to actually have the control, but, I mean, it doesn't necessarily, there's well, a whole other like animal there. It's like different kind of control, Yeah, right? different animals. Because, like, with, the lev- with like, the spring-loaded lever one, like Jared's talking about, like, you can control pre-infusion yeah, like a motherfucker, exactly. right? It's like, oh, however cool. long you leave the lever pulled down, that's, that's your like, pre-infusion time. Yeah. So you could do three seconds of pre-infusion, you could do six seconds, eight mm-hmm. seconds, whatever you want, and not have to like tweak anything in the yep. machine. And then you just unleash and the dragon. Kind of got built-in <laughs> volumetric dosing of like, mm-hmm. oh, anyway, that's, cool. that's like a whole different, yeah, like you said, whole different conversation. Yeah. That yeah, was no, a great intro. I was just like, if I was angry, it came out fast. If I was tired, it came out slow. Yeah. <laughs> so. You're like, I'm fucking pissed. I need that coffee today, man. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> with with your flex in- on it. <laughs> what what is it? Industrial engineer. Design. Industrial and, design. Industrial design. With that, like, you worked at some pretty big companies. Are you allowed to say where you worked? Or are you on um, NDAs and stuff? I yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Great. So I can, in some like, in some I can. I'll drop a few. Right. So. Uh, so I had the pleasure of working for Reebok um, when Reebok was was um, a very very hot brand in the 90s, and worked with the NFL and did all the uh, all the football cleats for American football hmm. as well as baseball. So MLB and NFL, and it was pretty cool. Um, and also did sort of if you remember this, uh, there was all preseason product and and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, so enjoyed that. That was when I first got into footwear, and uh, and in, and had a good time. 
and a good run and really liked it. Um, and so then I, uh, I jumped into uh, toy as well um, and did a bunch of toys for, and licensed toys for, for Hasbro and another company, Safety First, the ones who make those little, you know, baby on board things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a full company. Um, Crazy. It, there's a funny story on that one. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm designing this baby spa and uh, and so the way you would do it is you build a model that looks like and a model that works works like, mm. right? So they call it a breadboard model. So the looks like model, you know, you're trying to sell it internally. You're trying to get everybody excited. I'm like, okay, this is like the first baby spa. It's not a bathtub. It's a baby spa. You know, it's got it's got bubbles. You know, and now the, this is like this is like coming off of working with like a 300 pound lineman who's telling me that you know I need my footwear to be light yeah. so I can be fast. And I'm like, you you run five yards, right? Like how light can they, how light can it be, right? But but once again, just those different experiences and different perspectives, right? At the end of the the day you you deliver what people want sure. or believe they want so I'm internal and I'm selling this and we have these huge rapid prototypes and I got the baby spot and I'm like all right I'm gonna play this up I get a little bit of music I light some scented candles I kind of got the baby spot kind of like set up in a, in a way and I invite everybody in the lights are low and I'm presenting right and I'm presenting to the entire you know the marketing team and so on and, then, and I didn't realize how small the conference room is, and I didn't realize the cheap candles I got. And so I start gassing all these people out. And one woman's allergic to the scent and, and just runs out of the conference room. And I'm like, so that went really well. <laughs> so, so but, uh, but from that standpoint, it was just, it was just like, okay, you got to be a little bit more sensitive to how you present this stuff. So yeah. just lessons learned. I try to romance it just a little bit too much. But so from a toy standpoint, super cool. I think what was really interesting was, was the different consumers you, you're working with, right? So if you're building products for children, you're actually focused on the mother's point of view mm -hmm. as, as the buyer. Um, when you're dealing with um, baseball players, you're focused on what they believe. They're a superstitious group, which I didn't know. Right, so uh, so um, we were, I, I did uh, Nomar Garcia Paris shoe back in the day, and he could only have one bottom um, on it. And huh. so whatever we did for the upper, we always had to take this old bottom and put it. Um, like the same physical bottom. Same physical cleat on the bottom. That is so interesting because of the superstitions, yeah. yeah. I, won a, I won this game or I had this yeah. play or I, yeah. um, and so, and then, it, um, NFL players and, and that was just it was all around cool because I played football growing up mm. and um, it was great and a crazy story on that one was um, I was I had I was fortunate enough to you know get on the field after they won and hang out with the players but the way I the way in which I got on the field was um, I had good seats because I was where I worked at the time and so when the when the Super Bowl was over the family runs to the front right and then the players run to the wall and so um there was this lineman from the denver broncos and he's and he's yelling at this woman next to me which was his mother and um and this guy's a big man right yeah. and so he goes get my mother over the wall and he looks at me and i'm like i'm like okay no problem <laughs> so so not realizing that if you're a big nfl player your mother is probably, a big mom is, is probably gonna be right and i just pick 
lift up this lady and he catches her and then I'm, I'm coming with her, right? And I'm like, I'm, there's, no way I'm not, there's no way I'm not coming in. And, uh, and so I got, I'm half over the wall and security comes and I wish I knew who the player was and the player goes, he's with me. Oh, and, so cool. just, and so I jumped on the wall, ran on the field. And yeah. It was pretty cool. That's a awesome. big moment. Pretty, Super it was fun. pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So that's, that's some of the crazy brands I worked for as well as some of the experiences I it's had. It's such a dynamic background. That's interesting yeah. how personal it is. Like when I picture people working for a big, you know, if, if you're designing shoes or cleats, like in my mind I picture like, okay, cool. Like this is the kind of cleat that we make and this is the yep. brand of cleat. But you're working one-on-one -on -one with individual players to totally. create something that works for like them. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of design, right? It's empathy. Right, it's mm -hmm. understanding, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, literally. I mean, no pun intended, <laughs> but, but whether it's a barista, whether it's a mom who's, who's trying to find a way to soothe their child, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's, there's always um, a need to kind of be empathetic as far as how you create products. I think, the, I think you, said, you just said it earlier, right? I, I think that's a separator in my mind, right? I think what's changed for me in my career was the person who could create was the person who owned the resources. To your point, right. I can jump on a, any dot-com site to create anything I want. Right. Means of production used to be rare. Now it's not. Totally. So, so then the separators are how creative are you, how empathetic are you, how innovative are you, um, and you start to enter a world of, of if the function's figured out, then what you're focused on is the emotional response to the product. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Which is where some of those things that don't feel like they would make sense come into play. Like when you're talking about the cleat, you could have the person who's like, listen, just get rid of this bottom of the cleat. Like it doesn't matter. We got something that's like yeah. more advanced, more tech. Totally. Like more technology. This is going to be more comfortable. This is going to make you a better player. And none of that matters to that person because when you're talking about that empathy, you're like, cool, like there's performance. But there's also how this makes me feel and, like, mm -hmm. how empowered, like, I feel when I put these things on. Like right. I got my lucky game day you got it. cleats on the bottom or, like, my, like, tool. Like, you know, when you're – that's one of the things that I felt was missing from, like, a lot of barista tools, which is, like, I'm a, I'm a tamper geek, right? Like, mm -hmm. I – I made a whole video on it a couple years ago. You know, I probably have like 20 or 30 tampers. So I've just been collecting them for years and years and years. I've always been fascinated with them. And I didn't really realize until, you know, maybe five or six years in that like most of what I had was just something that was randomly laved yep. somewhere, you know, it was just yep. like, and they were just kind of clunky objects that were being mass produced. And I always kind of felt like, man, okay, this is, this is cool, but like one of the things that sucks about being a barista is that people see it as a part-time job, or people mm -hmm. see it as the job that you do while you're in college, or you know, what are you gonna do when you grow up? Like, when are you gonna get a real job? <laughs> like, even my mom, when I was like, "Hey, mom, I'm dropping out of school. I'm gonna move to San Francisco. I'm gonna make coffee." She's like, "You're fucking nuts. Like, right. is, you have so much potential. Why are you gonna waste it? Like, playing, playing coffee." And I totally get the mother's instinct where she's, you know, yeah. wanting the best for me. But I also get that even if you do have a job that is a stepping stone to another job, there's no reason not to take pride in what you're doing. And, like, exactly. everything that you touch, feel, and interact with during that shift, like, can bring you this sense of pride and sense of energy. So, Isn't it interesting how the mindset has changed where back there's a, there was a scarcity mindset for probably our moms and people where it's yep. like, this is all you have. Like, don't throw it away. Don't try anything new. And then... 
to your mindset, Stephen, and then some of ours, it's like there's actually a lot of opportunity and problems to be solved and creativity to be had and, and ways to make your own future moving forward. And then, yep. then you take that and you, and you find out, oh, there's this whole other place I can go. And then you have to be smart about it. You can't just create to create. You have to create. Well, you can actually just create to create. And that's, to your point, Chris, why a lot of things come out without a soul. Yep. And they do fine for a while, but then they, they kind of teeter and then nothing happens and you don't hear them. And then there's people who can actually connect their soul to what they're selling and tell a story that connects to somebody else. And that's where you have to think so much more intensely and intentionally about what you're trying to do before you even start to me that's that's like the key there 100 percent intentionality is like i mean we see that in our business all the time right and that's i mean it's pretty easy to open a coffee shop but they're not all created equally because Mm -hmm. some people are like oh i kind of casually want to open this coffee shop like this sounds like a fun thing to do i'm gonna do it like okay what are you trying to do with this thing i don't know i just like i like drinking coffee it just it's going to be fun. Like we're going to be good. It's easy, you know. The yep. the cost of goods makes sense. Like the profit margins feel okay. Like it it'll be chill. Then mm-hmm. I'll just rake it, you know, rake it. Yep. In. We'll just spin yep. off cash and it's a completely spin off cash. Spin off <laughs> cash, baby. We're about to spin off cash in this motherfucker. So it's like how how for you, you know, the, it yeah. seems like a big a big leap. Someone who has worked on a lot of I mean, when you're working on cleats that people are playing in the Super Bowl with and, mm-hmm. you know, custom shoes for, you know, pitchers in baseball who have these crazy superstitions to make the leap from those seems like really huge, big companies mm-hmm. and that lifestyle to, you know, be like, I'm going to, I'm, I think I'm going to go follow this little passion over here that's been kind of building in the back of my mind, which is coffee. Right. You know, how does that work? It, it works because you sell patents for a dollar. Yeah, and, and then you realize you should probably do it for yourself. Uh, <laughs> Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes so, sense. No, but actually, the, there's something I think inside of any everybody. Um, it's just at different levels, right? So we're all creative, right? We're all there's all internal things that drive us, and I think for me, what what drives me internally is purity of concept, and I think. Uh, you know, I've learned a great deal. Uh, you know, I, I've worked for, for great companies, um, many that I'm, I'm not mentioning. Um, but, but essentially, I'm grateful for those experiences because they've, they've taught me a lot, right? And, but then what it also does is as it's teaching you a lot, it also, it's, al- it's also sort of nurturing and growing something deeper inside of you. And it's like w- whenever you work in any setting beyond a few people, there's the dilution of the dream, or, you, know, or the, you know, I would joke and call it, you know, a DC dream crusher, right? Um, there's the dilution of that, and you have to realize that, that that's part of mass production, right? So, so I, I, you know, there's a, a saying that I keep in the back of my mind, right? A horse is a, I'm sorry, a camel is a horse designed by committee, right? So if you invite enough people in, you end up with something that kind of looks like it, but doesn't need a lot of water to drink, and it's kind of a camel. Put a hump on it. No, put two. Right? You you end up you end up somewhere uh, compromised, which is okay, right? Which is okay because you're you're appealing to the masses, and that's the difference between art, and that's the difference between design. Hmm. Uh, my wife is an artist, and she's she's painted over 70 romance covers, and has has uh, galleries, um, working galleries. And, and through those eyes, I've learned as well 
that art is something that's a single expression of me. I was inspired, I painted a, a, a painting, it's in a gallery, one person will buy it, right? There's that. Now, you can't do that with a cleat, I gotta sell that to like 50,000 to 100,000 people, right? Or you can't do that with many mass market products. So what, what, what kind of helped me make that leap or that jump was essentially as I was working in those corporate settings, as I was gaining all that experience to manufacture stuff globally, um, I started to, to sort of think about and always thought about um, what, what would I do? Uh, what would a purity of thought, what would a pure concept look like? What would something that, that took in the expertise that filled the gaps in knowledge that I had but then I was able to kind of bring something to the party that, that brought something to life. And, I, and that's what make, motivates me, right? So I think from that standpoint, the ability to respect others' point of view, to understand their problems, and then to bring my skill set to that, to help them solve, is, a, is, is really rewarding. Um, and I'm just, especially now, um, it just seems right, right? It seems like if, if you're not leveraging the talents you have um, in, in a way to kind of move things forward, um, you, you're kind of missing out, right? And so that, that's what's always motivated me. In fact, that's how I got started in toys. So I got started in toys um, when my kids were younger, creating different toy concepts and licensing them to companies. Hmm. So, How was the reception with the coffee industry? You, you know, because basically you're a stranger in a land that's somewhat established and you show up at, like, what was your first interaction with people? Like, did you get a booth at SCA right off the bat? Yeah, yeah, so the way I did it, <laughs> so the first, my, so passion turned to reality. My first interaction was SCA was coming to Boston and I just went and visited and just walked around and, and sort of poked my head into, um, and this was a while ago. Yeah, that was your Boston. That was 2009? That was, that yeah. was Nick yeah. Curtis Boston go. for yeah. me. That yeah. was, okay. Um, and so I kind of kind of jumped in, went, they had a, like an innovative or new product section, and people were excited about sort of a, a peel and stick thermometer on a milk pitcher, and I'm like, I can do better than that. Right? Like, I, I, <laughs> people are hyped on this thing, then something's wrong. That is <laughs> so, so real. Cool. Yeah, oh like, is it though? So no tight. offense to the person who put the... the Dude, you know what? <laughs> no, I, think I bet 80% of everybody else that was there kind yeah. of was feeling that too, and maybe yeah. you're like, I'm not even allowed to say that. Like, right. I, like, I at least I don't know. Maybe Jared has, feels the same way, or maybe we're the outliers because I've always felt like that too. I'm like that's not tight. We look at Everything. that shit and we're like, dude, that is so basic. Like yeah. so basic. It actually screams like 1992 to me. <laughs> I mean, no, the same the same thing happened, and it wasn't because it was poorly designed or anything. But the V60 came out, and all of a sudden, pour overs are new again, and it's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. I was like, it's a cone with a hole, <laughs> and it's totally, glass. Totally. Like, and so don't tell me it's better. It's the same thing with a cooler, different design. It's, there's no argument to be had here. It's glass with a hole, and it's not that much different. And that's not to knock it. It's just like, don't tell me it's better. It's just a different version of the same thing. Exactly. You're allowed to do that and love it. Right, which is maybe how starved we are as an industry for like a yeah. new and interesting take on stuff. No, and I th just saw it as opportunity. And, um, and so that was sort of the awareness, like, oh, 
there's a spot for me. And I've been really quiet. I mean, our presso's three years old, right? So you have been pretty mellow in your yeah, pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I just wanted to put things out there and see how people responded, um, and and see if see if I could get some credibility within the industry and, and, and from my perspective, right, what I would call do it right, right? Know your weaknesses, know your strengths and and sort of be respectful to the industry, but you have to respect it before you try to move it forward, right? And so um, so that was the the approach and the tact from from 2009, right? Um, and then I just started to build more and more products um, around that. Uh, we reached out to La Marzocco and Scott and, and sort of uh, started to take his input and collaborate on projects, which he was super gracious and great. And, um, and from that standpoint, um, just slowly start building more and more until we went to the SCA and you swung by and hung out with us for a little bit. It was fun, bit. yeah. Yeah. Made what? coffee with your, with your tamper and the, yeah. and the the flip, I forget what it's called. Yep, solo. Yep, yep. yep. yeah, the solo, solo. tamper. Yeah. Actually, no, it was just too easy, and that was <laughs> I was like, that can't be the name. I got, a, I got a question, and then we'll get yeah. back to SCA. So you said our press was three years old. Yeah. You went to SCA in 2009. Yeah. What's happening in that chunk of time yeah. in between? It's called raising kids. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay. <laughs> I'm right in the midst. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, so it was it – was, Let's face it, we have passions, but then sometimes we don't act on those passions until years later, right? And I think um, you can't kill this stuff. You'd like to convince yourself otherwise, right? You, you sort of, you know, I always say the person who speaks to, to you the most is you, mm-hmm. right? And you sort of justify things and think about, oh, later, oh, it's not right, oh, they don't want this, or I don't know if I can do that. Um, so, but essentially what I did is I dove into, to work and other, other matters and, and just shelved it until my kids went to college. Um, and then when they went to college, I found myself with a hundred tampers in the garage and really not wanting to sell them to anybody. So I kind of threw them away. And then, uh, did you keep any of them? <laughs> I kept a few. Yeah. So the prototype phase was crazy. That's so, right. so this may have to be cut out, but I created a vibrating tamper, which, which was amazing, but also really provocative. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't need to be cut out at all. That's awesome. That's so, kind of so the I was cool like, thing. I was like, right. is this good or, or is this some suppressed thing that I have going on? <laughs> How Freudian is this right now? <laughs> so good, but uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so let I me mean, say, sometimes the journey's better than the destination, right? I Absolutely. think it's. Uh, I think, and so to your point, what happened during those times was just life, right? But it never, it, the kind of spark never died. Wow. You know? Yeah, that's kind of similar to to mm-hmm. us too, and yeah. I find it's a common story. It's like this thing that just keeps poking its head yeah. out of the corner of your mind, and you can't ignore it to a certain point, or life forces you to be like. Hey man, totally. Pay attention to Do me something. because everything else isn't fulfilling you in the way that you want it to. Right, and you that's so go. true. That's that's super true. So SCA, yeah. that was what twenty when you had the booth. I know yeah. I was there. It yeah. was in Seattle. Seattle, and it was fun. And we made 16. coffee. Yeah, I got a photo probably on my phone. I could do copy. I mean, Captain Cloud had just opened. So it was 2016. Did somebody make coffee with me at that booth from our company or not? I don't even remember. Anyway, I remember being there. I remember that Charles was there. You were there. You were actually recording oh, podcasts. Oh. Uh, randomly, you, you sat out and recorded with those peeps. 
there was the um, Lamazuko did the event. Um, remember, you spoke, I spoke. Oh, well, that could give us the date. Oh my God, that? that was the yeah. one. That was where you did the intro to. Espresso. I did the intro to espresso for everybody. I don't even remember what. That was super fun. That, that was, was a good the, idea. Yeah. That was, it was the really year good. Yeah, I posted the subway post. That oh, was man. a hot year. La Marzocco <laughs> does the best events. Yeah, yeah. they do the best events. They kill sure. it. They have like a really good way of like getting information out there. I don't yeah, know. they're like good conduits. Well, that was their ninetieth, right? So that was their ninetieth event, and it coincided with the SCA. I think that was 2017. Yeah, that must have been right. Yeah, 2017. Because we opened 2016, and it wasn't our first year. 2016, it was open, and we went to Boston, just you and I. So 2017, it would have been Seattle, and it was back-to-back -back Seattle years or something yes, like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, back-to-back yeah, yeah, exactly back Seattle. Uh -huh. yeah. And then we were in Seattle before that, too, because we did the um, – what was the other thing that La Marzocco did? Where the cafe takeover is a kind of partner. Yep. That was that same year where we got to, we did our, we were in their initial year of residency. Residency. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, so for everybody listening who doesn't oh, know what the hell cool. we're talking about, when La Marzocco cool. opened the cafe, they did a different resident roaster every month. So they would carry that roaster's coffee, but the roaster also had the opportunity to be as involved or not involved as they wanted to. So you can create your own menu, you can send down employees, you can rearrange That's service, so cool. their whole bar was modular. So we went down there yeah. for a couple weeks, and then after that we sent different employees yeah, we sent to work there. Nicole, and just to have oh, the experience. Who actually, her Nicole and a girl named Kylie, Kaylee. Kylie works nice. for us now, Kaylee worked for us then. But yeah, 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 and now Nicole's the one who just made you that breakfast burrito. How did you yeah. guys meet? Uh, uh, it was this, was I? Yeah. Did I just like walk up to you and start talking to you? Yeah. And you said, let's yep. make coffee? Yeah, yeah. You it. did. I think you just yeah, said, yeah. hey, oh, I knew of you. Come back here real yeah. quick if you want. And I was like, all right. And I brought a bag of coffee and threw it in their hopper on Yoda Mini. Yep. And mm -hmm. then I just started making coffee, and it was just fun. I think it was just a vibe. Same thing as you, you mentioned about Scott Calendar. There was just a vibe. I was like, oh, right. this guy's rad. Right. And there was something which I will just take as like the, that, that idea of purity of an idea. It just felt like you were a good human being, a normal person. Yep. And you didn't necessarily feel like you were out to prove anything. It was just like, yeah, let's have fun. And I, that was kind of what I was looking for. I didn't want it to be so serious. So we were there and made coffee for a little while, like an hour, maybe yep. a little longer. I stayed for a long time, actually. I remember thinking I was just going to pop on and make a couple shots and leave. And, and yeah, I stayed I for a while. It was fun. Then, yeah, it was kind of cool because it number. was like uh, people were just showing up. Like I mentioned, there was the the Dune Dune crew showed up, which yeah. was really cool. Oh yeah, did we pull them in to make coffee? You, you, yeah, it, I was like, I hey, you come make coffee. yeah, because you just showed up and I was <laughs> just like just selling your booth to people. <laughs> That's like very <laughs> he just, just kind of rolled like, in, and I'm on. like, I'm like, all right, I'm like, this works. Like, oh, that was like God. Matt Fuel and um, yes, that's yeah. exactly who and, it was. Uh, and one other person. Anyway, it was yeah, it was just fun. We were just yeah. having a fun time. I remember when we went to I can't no, it wasn't Yahoo. It was Intel. And we were doing a pop-up at Intel, and it was me and you. And we set up, got the whole thing dialed in, and, you know, everyone's making the push to do tech sales and stuff. Yeah. And I just, for whatever reason, I felt, like, really corny about it. Like, I was just like, oh, this setup's not quite right. This, this is weird. This is weird. And Jared's, like, yelling at people across the room. He's like, hey, you want some coffee? And it's like, <laughs> it, like, feels, for whatever reason, completely genuine because it actually is. But it's also, like, really great selling. I'm like, how did you do that? What the fuck is going on right now? Because I do not give a fuck yeah. about looking dumb sometimes. Yeah, he's like, he's like oh, you don't want to try this coffee? It's really good. Yeah. I'm like, I got something that you're going to have be psyched on. And if you don't want it, you're the idiot, not me. Totally. <laughs> you're missing out. That's the biggest thing I've learned, man. If people yeah. are responding to exactly. it, so I totally relate to that story. I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty classic, Jared. 
Yeah. Yeah. It but worked. That, that was the beginning, I think. Yeah. And then, and then, and then I remember you gave the the push. You sent the awesome like customized oh, yeah. tamper and the whole setup. And it was funny because I was like, man, I'm not the guy to make this as big as it could be. It was like always him. Yeah. But it was like at the right time. So I was like kind of just like feeding these little ideas. Like, here, check it out. We got these things. Well, and this is where the dots weren't connecting. Yeah. And then this is where this is maybe like diving into a whole different area that we've talked about all the time. Yeah. I got the box and I opened it. I'm like, it's good. And then I was looking at the website and overall I was like, I just don't get it. Like, right. I, I don't get it. And it's because you two hadn't met, though. Right. That was the key exactly. factor that was missing. We, we hadn't met. Yep. And more than that, like, we hadn't shared these stories. And I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't know where you were coming from. And now that I know where you were coming from, I understand that, oh, this person's not an equipment manufacturer, right? Because mm-hmm. I, like, opened the box of tampers. And I'm like, it's a tamper. Yep. Like, it's a piece of equipment, but I don't understand the story behind it yep. and now i understand the story behind it but more importantly i understand the story behind you right which i think is maybe and i get whatever like who, you've been around the block long you know you've done way more things than i have so who am i to be handing out like brand advice but like one of the I'll things <laughs> one of the things that we've talked about was like yeah. i would like to like to hear more about your story in yeah. conjunction with art presso and like your intention because the things that you talk about are really beautiful like when you're talking about creating with intention and having empathy with a group that Big you know like who you're creating like those things are feel huge to me and they're like they, they resonate on an emotional level which is why when we connected and started having these conversations, I was like, oh, now I get what Jared's talking about. Like, now I totally understand where everything's coming from. And, like, I understand where, like, some of those things that you were creating are coming from. And more so than that, like, the thought process and the potential. Right. Yep. To where this isn't just, like, a one and done, we're making this, and I'm going to see you know, how many I can sell before the bottom drops out and then we'll be like, see you later and I'm back to my other job. Yep. That it's, it's you know, more thoughtful and more serious and more intentional than that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think part of it, part of the reason why I was quiet for three years was because I was kind of figuring it out, right? And I think, um, number one, going back to what I was saying, um, see if I have the right to play, right? See what the industry is about. Mm. See if I can contribute. See if see if what I'm bringing to the table adds value um, and just sort of sort of see if um, if I can have a positive impact on on coffee right because you can be passionate about it but it doesn't mean you're good at it right sure. so I may be a passionate singer but mm. which I am but you don't want to hear me sing right? <laughs> <laughs> and you sure aren't going to download anything I sing um, but from from that standpoint I think there was a little bit of of just sort of easing into it, finding my spot. Mm. When I think of, of Oppresso long-term, I mean, I think a big piece of it is, is taking all this vast experience I have, bringing it into an area to solve problems, but do it in a considered way. Um, I, think, I think that's one of the benefits that I got from corporate, the idea of the world doesn't need another, right, fill in the blank. Right. When you think of it from a sustainability standpoint or resource standpoint, there's so much clutter in the world. You know, what are you going to do that's meaningful, purposeful, and and really bring bring things forward? Mm-hmm. And so, so when we did the solo tamper, the thought process was it was the first dual uh, use distributor tamp, and we modeled it after the stock fleth method with the smallest mm-hmm. footprint and the least disruption and. A lot of thought went into that to kind of bring that forward. 
because if you're going to use these resources to create something, um, you don't need another, yeah, right? Whatever that, that thing okay. is. Um, so when I look at Oppresso going forward, it's really passion for design, passion for coffee. Um, one of the brands I've always admired is an Italian brand, Alessi, that always does things at, at the highest level of quality, but there's also sort of a, an emotional uh, connection to it, right? Um, and so when you have the functionality of things figured out, like we were saying, um, you have to start to introduce these other elements into it that allows it to be what the goal is, meaningful, purposeful, and, and the reason why the world needs another is because it's better, it's more considered, it's more sustainable, mm -hmm. it's, it's higher quality. It's, and so I'd rather c sell one for a lifetime than sell multiple small ones for a third the price. Yeah. Um, and then when I think forward, it's really to, to kind of take what Opresso does and expand it into to anything that's sort of artisan in the areas of, of, um, of coffee and things around it, mm. right? So if, it, if we start to say, oh, okay, we're going to get more, prof more focused on professional barista or a cafe or we're going to get focused more on home and what, are the, what do you need in home? Or if it's even adjacent products to that uh, could be cool as well. Right, I find myself making sourdough bread for some reason in quarantine. You know, there's a lot of problems there, I want to just tell you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of problems with the Sarducci. Um, Sarducci, dude. Still got it. But, uh, so I don't know if that's answering uh, uh, some of what you're after. Um, I think, I think the, the end isn't written, right? I think I look at Oppresso as a journey, and I think at each collaboration, is a step in that journey. So who you collaborate has an impact and a fingerprint on what your brand is. And that that's, can be good or bad. Oh, absolutely. Right? You and so you, well. you, you gotta, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. You gotta pick really well it's and a, you gotta do your research. It's a pretty big statement, you know, and we've been working on a, a couple different collaborations right now and I've shared some of them with you. And for me, it's always an emotional thing when you see when you're building logo lockups, right? Yep. And, and you're seeing this logo next to that logo. Yep. And we had this conversation actually in a meeting, Jared and I, yesterday um, around collaborations with coffee. Mm -hmm. And we were going on this whole diatribe about like, okay, you know, if someone wants to share our logo on a bag of coffee, for us it feels more than just like, oh, send over an art file and slap it there. Like mm -hmm. when I see our logo on something, I want it to mean like everything that we set out to create mm -hmm. and I want it to resonate for an emotional on an emotional level. Like so when you look at Minotti's in LA mm -hmm. and we do a you know, their coffee, they have really strong branding. So they have their M and yep. then at the bottom of their bag there's our logo and it's roasted by a cat and cloud. That makes complete sense to us. Mm -hmm. You yep. know, Jared and I have been fans of Minotti's for ever since it was the one shop on the beach and known nicely for just a long, long time. Those brands make sense together. Um, I don't have any hesitation about saying, you know, where should I go for coffee? You need to go to Minotti's. Like right. if you're in LA, you right. have to go, you have to go check it out. And it's, I mean, you're basically saying, I vouch for this group, these people, this brand. Like, so it's, people are really kind of casual about that stuff sometimes, but I don't feel casual about it at all. No, I'm with you on that. I think it's dangerous, right? And I think we could point to footwear collaborations or other collaborations that just don't make sense. And it's about 
printing cash, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, or just jumping on a trend. I think it, that when you go deeper, you know, do you have the same values? Do you have the same mission? Like, do so, certain things have to align versus just doing it for, for the sake of doing it, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'm with you. And I think I, I, think I have a, an 80% an vision of where Oppresso goes in the future and ha as we grow. Um, it's to kind of move to, to more uh, products that are accessible, more, wide, more widely uh, used from a standpoint of coffee preparation. Um, but I don't want to have a, a, a full plan um, because I think I, think I want to leave space and openness to be influenced, mm -hmm. to be inspired, to be pulled in areas where I can take my experiences and problem solving capabilities and, and apply them to something different. One of the biggest challenges, and I, we were talking about this, Chris, right? When I when I look back on my career and I look at the numerous things I, I was fortunate enough to do, the biggest challenge is to kind of define who you, you are, right? Definition of focus are two different things. I want to be focused, but I don't want to be defined, mm. right? Because I, I think if I define, I'm deciding and I'm cutting out things from what the possibilities could be versus focused, um, focused on... on an area or a focus in a, in a way that's um, that's moving coffee forward. I think, um, yeah, I don't want to have it all figured out, man. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I, that, that very much aligns in a way with, uh, you know, it, it kind of parallels this idea of one of our in our first values. We actively pursue better, and yep. part of part of the subset of that is we're not going to look the same as we do now in the future, and totally. that's okay with us. I and think that, that's that kind of to me is just speaking exactly to what yeah. we're saying when we say that. Exactly. We don't, we're going to actively be better and we're going to be involved in whatever that means. And that means anything. <laughs> and we're excited about that. Exactly. As long as it falls under our, what our mission is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One of the hardest things that we've been working on is building in this slack to our schedules and our, and our brain space to allow the space to explore new ideas. Like, you know, coming out of, okay, cool, we own this company, and when it starts, you know, when you own a small company, when you begin, you do everything. Yep. You know, so we're making coffee, we're roasting coffee, we're bagging coffee, we're ordering cups, we're making labels, we're doing, like, the whole, the, <laughs> the whole shit. About, yeah, yeah. I've like, never been there, huh? You have never been it. there. That and sounds then, very foreign to me. <laughs> as you start stair-stepping out of that, you get, you, like, earn the ability to have a... Uh, relationship with work that's a little less transactional to where the you know you don't have to be the person who stamps all the cups you don't have to be the person who puts all the labels on the bags and then um, you get to have this space to think about what if like what could be like what are what are the possibilities out there yeah and if we stuff our brain space and don't leave any like any wavelength available for that stuff, it's going to hurt us in the future. Absolutely. Like to be like, okay, cool. We're only going to open cafes or we're only going to do this. So some of the things that I've seen work really well in, in some of the, the brands, I they've been called numerous things, right? FedEx projects and in um, different kind of kind of corporate catches where, where essentially what they'll do is for a certain time, for the FedEx project is you – a team of people within an organization work on something and they have to overnight it, right? So it's a way to force and fuel ideas. And so um, the first Friday of every month, they get together, 
they brainstorm on what the company could use, put it in a FedEx you know, envelope, and done, right? You only got 24 hours go. And I think those types of sprint exercises um, kind of help employees feel engaged and motivated in the ability to, to submit ideas, mm. right? Um, the ability to be listened to, um, and then the ability to feel as though they're contributing more than their their day-to-day, -day, right? Because people on the ground or people in different corners of a business see things that you don't see, and their ability, and in, in as leaders in, in Cat and Cloud, your ability to create a way and a path for which they can bring things forward. Mm -hmm. All right, I gave you a corporate example, but but there's there's always a way to kind of tease it out. Doesn't mean you act on it, right? right? Doesn't mean they're all great ideas, but I think what ends up happening is, is some of them, um, which which I can't mention, um, they become commercial products and do really well, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, I th so I think that's a part of it. A part of it is the vehicles in which you give people to kind of communicate, you know, and, and bring something forward to fill that other 20% of who you're gonna be when you grow up. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and it is interesting because right? that transition from the beginning right. <clears throat> to where we are now, there's also the transition for the people who worked with you to mm -hmm. where they don't expect you to do everything any, anymore and they don't hold you accountable to like, why aren't you still doing all this stuff that I fell in love with you doing? Yep. You know, like a lot of people came because we did everything at the beginning. Right. And it didn't connect that in order for this to go where we, the whole mission, the whole vision, the whole thing we talked about that made them want to come here requires us to detach and make it. Yep. And the connecting of the dots is like, oh, when that actually happens, it's not as fun for me anymore because I don't yep. get to stand right with this person. And even that took a lot of time to transition through. And that so it's, it's been interesting. I like what you're saying though. It's like, it's in the back of our minds. How can you get a lot of engagement on every level to where it's, they recognize that we care a lot, even mm -hmm. if we can't act on every single idea. Right. And or, you know, and then just find all that communication and ensure it's there. And I, I actually like the idea of getting everybody together and say, hey, you have this amount of time throw out every idea possible, get it together, and shoot it to yep. wherever'sville. Yep. And we'll actually look at them, yep. and we will care about them. And if you don't hear back about it, it doesn't mean we don't care about you. Correct. Um, and I, so there's some sort of form of that for the future that'd be really cool. I, and thanks for the idea. That's a fun, fun thing to bat around. Yeah, I think that's how Gmail was created. Was it really? Yeah, Google has these project days that are pretty similar. I don't think they have the 24-hour timeline on them, yep. but each employee has like a certain amount of hours or days to work on personal projects and submit them to the company mm -hmm. and gmail was one of those things it was yep. just it was just a random idea yeah and yeah it's it, it is interesting to balance that huh to where you're like i think what you said is right jared where you're like we might not use them and that's okay absolutely it's, right. it's more about the process of doing it than people feeling bad about like oh i, I submitted an idea and i didn't get picked and now i'm bummed out and right well, there's so much to that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there's, there's a couple things. Like, it's learning both ways. We're going to learn from somebody. But on the other side, we're going to see who's thinking critically and intentionally and has, like, pure thoughts about the business and not just, you know, and the mission and the values. Like, we're going to be able to see that considered in the responses. And therefore, we're going to be able to identify somebody who maybe 
is brand new but might be being overshadowed somewhere. We're like, you know what? That's a good mind. We need to pay attention to that person. Right. What you're learning is beyond the actual thing submitted but the thought process. At least that's what I would do, speaking for myself. That's how I look at stuff like that. Cool idea. And I think that to your point, you're referring to it as the new mind, right? It, yep. It's almost like the, the naiveness of a child, right? Like I, I've always tried to keep that um, because as business owners of Cat and Cloud, right, you have to, I'm making assumptions here, but right, you're running a business. There's certain things that you make decisions, mm-hmm. those decisions work, and there's a, a process and a formula, and you need that as a foundation to the company, right? As you grow, those things, those pillars become stronger, and you always have to figure out how to bring in flexibilities from somebody who's worked with large organizations, right? Mm-hmm. And and so the a child perspective is something, a, a child optimism is something that I always had, where I was constantly asking why, right? And yeah. if you get to the third, fourth, fifth why, you find out that it's like, well, this is how we do it, mm-hmm. right? And then you're like, well, that and that's why I'm not going to do it that way, right? <laughs> so yeah, so so you got to realize that. What, what makes you know your greatest strength is your greatest weakness, and there's times in which you have to kind of shake it. And there's corporations that intentionally reset every seven years, mm. right? They literally pick up people from different areas of the organization and replant them to bring fresh perspective, like seven you're talking year about. Thing. They avoid that. Yeah, and it's like it, it, totally. Yeah. And, and I think it's like you know, think about a kid going to Disney, right? I mean, they they believe. 110% of the magic happening. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to see Mickey with his head head off, right? <laughs> they sure don't. <laughs> they sure nobody don't. wants to, you know. Um, but but you have to you have to figure out how do you to your point uh, how do you do that with employees and how do you mm-hmm. how do you give them the space to put it forward, mm-hmm. right? I think that's a that's a great point because mm-hmm. your youngest mind could could give you some of your best ideas, right? You know, right? Um, and they might be the kind of person that would stay with you for 10 years and be that impact on your business that if you don't give them that opportunity, they're going to give that to somebody else. Totally, totally. And I don't want to be that business who misses that. Totally, yeah. No, that's a good one. Was that a tangent? That may have been a tangent, that's but that's yeah, okay. No, that's <laughs> all, I mean, at the end of the day, we're learning about you and why your business works. And, yeah. and that's like an insight into into your understanding of like a culture and, and, a, and a mindset. And I think to me, and back to your point, that's why you want to buy something from you. Right. You want right. to connect to you. It's that's the it's hope that people listen to this and be like, "Oh, okay, cool. I understand what they're about." Like yeah. on another level, like I understand their intention, and in my mind, that can only bring positivity. Right. Right? Yes, totally. It's we don't want to make more stuff. We want to make the right stuff. Got to make right. the right you stuff. Know? And motherfucker are we making the I right stuff right now then, <laughs> and then you connected finally we kept the flame burning just enough like, exactly i kept i kept it in there well how did it how did it okay. finally connect that you two connected because i know we did our thing it was, did, did i circle back and i was like hey this no. thing is tight how did it work no so what happened was i you know i'm completely dismissive so mm-hmm. i'm just like whatever um tamp guy tamp guy yeah he made a tamp great whatever man cool metal i got a tamp it's in my garage it's not even it's vibrating i don't even shit. want it yeah this guy doesn't even understand the Let vibrating tamp 10 years like, from now you're gonna want that vibrating tamp can you make one that's like a shake weight <laughs> just like the cat and cloud podcast is sponsored by steeped coffee steeped coffee combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag it's delicious coffee wherever you are you don't need a machine there's no mess all you have to do is add hot water. 
Each steep pack is individually sealed and nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh, and it's got a unique immersion filter that's ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue, no staple, so there's nothing between you and your coffee experience. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable, and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee at steepedcoffee.com. We'll have a link in the show notes for sure. You can ask your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or have your favorite roaster reach out and get in touch. If you want steeped stuff full of cat and cloud goodness, you can snag that in our retail stores here in Santa Cruz and on our website worldwide. Basically, Steeped is doing their best to change the coffee industry and make your life more convenient with their pre-portion, pre-ground innovation. That time we met at Portola, yeah, I was yeah, sitting yeah. on the back of the picnic table at Portola. I don't <laughs> oh, think. Oh, so this is no, no, no. So you guys actually randomly met. Randomly we randomly met. met. Is, I was you in weren't Carmel. There. Oh, it was written yeah. then. Okay, he was good. in Carmel. Yeah, it was yeah. Okay. You did we exchange on the internet first or no? No, no, no. no. So was... you came up and I think I was sitting on the picnic table and you came up and said, "Hey, and introduce yourself." Yeah. And then we just started talking. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I know who you are. Like, yeah, Jared said he met you. You worked at the booth. Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. And we just started having, you know, conversation, conversation, conversation. And it was it was fun and really casual. And then right when we were about to wrap it up and you were about to leave, you were like, yeah, so let me know if you got any ideas. You know, yeah. we can make them happen. And I was like, well, actually, I got... <laughs> I got a, a pretty a pretty wild idea. Floodgates are open. And even at that point in time, I was really skeptical because I've, yeah. I've had this idea for a, a, like this tamper that's been in my head for just for forever. It's just been existing ever since I, you know, I'm collecting these things, collecting these things, stacking them up and being like, what do I want? What would be amazing? And there's this whole set of circumstances that led to me even being... <clears throat> to that point, so to like fast forward through those was I got in contact with this dude, Nick, who just took a job at Fellow, actually. Wow. Yeah. So he's, um, I guess, industrial engineer, industrial designer. Yep. Same same game. He's He worked at Bellwether prior, and I can't remember where he worked before that. He worked on the, um, oh, I think he did some stuff for the ground control brewer. So he's a, he's cool. a, engineer wizard who's also a coffee coffee geek um he had made a tamper that was called the uh, science tamper so his his passion project was science mm-hmm. um, and he ran a kickstarter for the tamper and it was a, it was a success you know he made a certain amount of these tampers and then because of the design of the tamper, he received a cease and desist from uh, <laughs> another tamper company yeah. and was just like crushed. He was just like super bummed because he's like, oh man, I, like, I don't really feel like we're infringing on this, but there's certain patents that they have to where I just can't make this tamper. Mm-hmm. And he had gotten contact with me from another Kickstarter that he did and He's like, hey, you know, I, I just watched your tamper video. Like, I want to send you a tamper. You look like you genuinely enjoy these things. So let me send you this thing. So he sent me this tamper, and I'm asking him all these questions about it, you know. And it's, um, I was like, well, what are you, what are you trying to do? You know, like, what were you trying? Do you have a product that was going to be like the product? And he's like, well, it's supposed to be the tamper, but now I can't sell it. <laughs> and here's why. And uh, he's like, the design's just totally, it's just 
it's not going to work. And right. I was like, huh. I was like, well, I got all these ideas. Like, what are you thinking? And he's like, yeah, maybe we could do that. Let's talk about it. Let's talk That's about cool. it. So we went down this road, and I was, like, kind of downloading all this information that was in my brain to him. And, you know, we had gotten to a certain point, and where we got to was this place to where what was in my head wasn't going to be financially viable at all. Mm-hmm. And at that time, he was transitioning into, uh, I think that was when he started working at Bellwether. And he was just like, hey, I'm taking his job at Bellwether. This is like too big. You know, yeah. it's, it's just a lot. And I can't find anybody to make what we're trying to make and like have it be exactly how it's going to work and, and make it viable. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. It's, you know, all good. So that just kind of got shelved. And then when we connected, you were like, Oh, we can make anything. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I've heard that before. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't hurt my feelings. Let me, <laughs> my soul. Uh, let me, let me tell you what I, what I have here. And, Unbreak you know, my heart. Sent you over some of that, you know, those initial CAD things or SolidWorks designs. Yep. And then we yep. started talking. And it was funny because some of the ideas that you threw back were some of the ideas that I originally had mm-hmm. that, didn't end up working out because of like cost and resources and you know whatever was going on at the time. Yep. And so like here's the here's the list of things that I always dreamed of that like I envisioned in my mind. So one this whatever this thing is, it's got to be beautiful. First and foremost, it's got to make you want to make coffee. It's got to mm-hmm. make you smile every time you see it. And what that means is it can't be just a slab of steel with a handle on it right that's not going to work and what it also means is some of the other um, thought processes that go into making some of these tools aren't going to work either so and I'm not knocking it I own one of these like I have two perg tamps I think Mm -hmm. it's a completely different like that is functional in the purest sense where you have something that's basically 3d printed um, it's incredibly economical. Uh, it's got a thin replaceable base on it. It's easy access. You yep. know, you could put it in your pocket or carry it around your backpack. I was like, it can't be that either. Because in my mind, it's not something that I look at and feel like ultimate professional level going to make me super psyched. You know? Right. And I like the concept, though, so I bought a couple of them. <laughs> I was right. like, yeah, I'll get one of these. I'll you know, <laughs> put them on the collection. Um, and then there were other things like, the, when you have a tool like that, <clears throat> I think the balance is really important. And 90% of most tampers out there are piston heavy, mm-hmm. especially if they have a wood handle mm-hmm. because you've got this big, huge slab of steel on the end of a wood handle. The ones with the metal handles are generally more, more balanced, but they're always generally a little bit too heavy. Yep. Um, so I had always heard lore of, you know, perfect swords like a perfect samurai sword is like equally balanced from blade to handle so if you held it at the tang like with your finger Mm -hmm. it would just balance there i was like "Ah, that would be so cool you could make a tamper that was perfectly balanced at that midpoint not just to have it perfectly balanced because when you pick up something that feels like that it can have substance to it, but also feel like really, really mobile and, Hanzo and usable. Sword, yeah. Exactly. It's a Hattori Hanzo sword. <laughs> um, another thing was, okay, it's got to be durable. So what does that mean? That means you got to use incredibly hard materials. 
there's some limitations on that because you can't go so hard to where you get past like whatever is food grade. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you also, if you use something that's incredibly hard, it's going to be probably pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you achieve that? Um, piston shape was super important. Like most pistons, I've, I'm realizing in real time how nerdy all this sounds, and I fucking love it. <laughs> well, uh, it's, 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 that kind of intention is what we put into it's, everything it's that we do. So, so. fun for me. Yeah. So most pistons are too thick. Every custom tamper that I've ever got, and the first person who ever did this for me was Reg Barber back in the day. I was like, can you make me this tamper, but make the piston thinner? Because they all felt really blocky. It's like mm-hmm. you don't need that much piston on the end of a tamper. It doesn't make any sense. It's just, it's just added weight. Unless you're yep. using a ridiculously deep basket and the coffee's sinking so far deep in there. And even then, it's like you got plenty of room for your fingers and everything to breathe. It's the the smaller piston makes it feel makes it feel more svelte. And it also like aside from making it feel more balanced it also looks more balanced it looks less of like an accident right which i feel like when i see the big thick thing i'm like cool like this is what the machine was set to and it just milled off this like hunk hunk of steel like i don't like that either um so we have we have all of all of these problems and then how are we gonna how are we gonna solve them (laughs) yeah and and what we came up with is something that is psycho (laughs) you know so and now now i'll just start talking about the tamper so the the tamper is it's a three-piece design so the center section is aluminum because aluminum's light um also i think it's important to say i didn't want something with a wood handle because Mm -hmm. some people really love the wood handle but when i look at a tool i look at something that you can keep forever and wood is great for some things but it's ultimately going to get beat up. It's going to get wet. It's, you know, we like to pretend that we can keep our tools completely pristine. And that's something that I'm personally really good at. But look at any cafe, any tamper, and it's been through a war, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so metal was the only option. So the tamper that we came up with has an aluminum center section. And the top cap and the piston are 440C, hardened 440C steel. So there's a hardening po- process, which you could probably speak to more that when we were talking about that initially, that was something that was borrowed directly from Nick's tamper. So he, the Mm -hmm. science tamper was this electro polish 440C piston. So it was super, super hard. And I was like, why do you do that? He's like, you could drop it and it's fine. And the one of the, I still have the end cap and the piston from the prototype that was at Portola for a few months. And you can see where it got beat up, but it's not dinged at all which is kind of amazing. Like, it's got a little, like, this patina on top, but there's no dents in it. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's pretty cool. Um, So the top and the piston are both weight-relieved. So if you... uh, Oh, this is... uh, is, um, I'm trying to find the best way to talk about this to where it really flows. He's like, oh. Um, I actually don't need the bike. One of the things that you sent back that I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what it needs to be, is like, hey, man, you got this fucking cheap, like threaded bolt running through this really cool design like why is that there i'm like i don't know it just seemed like really hard to make it hardware free and like really expensive and he's like you're like man we can do this like 
and you sent back three options for this is how it could be completely hardware free and it is completely hardware free so the three sections screw into each other and they all that's all you have because i always thought that that was like a pretty big disappointment too because even the tampers that look really good when you unscrew them you've got this what looks like a shitty hardware store, yep. like big threaded mm-hmm. bolt running through the center of it that, again, looks like it was just chopped off of a piece of some, like, you know, million-mile-long bolt, and, you know, you got yep. it in a pack of 5,000, like, industrial <laughs> units of whatever. And, like, that was always disappointing to me as a, as a super tamper nerd. Like, oh, I got this thing that looks really nice. I'm going to take it apart and see what it is. And it's like, wah-wah on the inside. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> And it presented, you know, it, it's not super heavy in there, but it's like also you can dial it in perfectly if you don't have that thing. So we've got a three-piece hardware-free design. The end caps are weight-relieved, 440C hardened. So if you did unscrew them, you would see that instead of being this, like, solid piece of steel, they're how do you how would you describe that they're like a milled out on the inside exactly and the milling does two things it brings the overall weight down of the tamper so comparing that to like any other average like all steel tamper you have it's lighter Mm -hmm. and you can feel it and it actually feels lighter than tampers that weigh exactly the same because the balance is so perfect so the milling does the two things Mm -hmm. where you get like the perfect balance and you bring the weight down and then the center section is aluminum because aluminum's lighter overall. And the center section isn't where the tamper gets beat up. Yep. Like the 440, the hardened 440 is where, oh, you would, if you drop it, it's hitting the piston or the end cap. Yep. So those are the places that you need to be safe in order to create this tool that's kind of like an heirloom that yep. like could theoretically live, live forever. Um, and just like getting the prototypes of that and holding those in my hands that just made me smile because I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, like we're, we're getting somewhere here. It's, it's, it's super cool. Um, and then, like, some of the other little things are, like, on the piston, there's been kind of, like, this never-ending barista geek debate for years, whether it's, like, flat piston or convex piston. Flat piston or convex piston. And then if you're listening here and you don't know what the hell we're talking about <laughs> flat's pretty easy to remember flat is pretty easy to imagine <laughs> figure that out and then exactly. convex is also pretty easy to imagine right mm-hmm. you got this dome on the bottom of it and the reason that you have this theory is when you're tamping coffee and you've got a puck of coffee in the portafilter the weakest part of that whole puck if you're talking about getting channeling is where the coffee interacts with the side of the basket so let's say you dose out some coffee and you tamp it and you go to throw it in the group head, and you do it kind of haphazardly. You could try this at your cafe. Tamp some coffee, go up to put it in, bang it Tap on the group head, yeah. and then bring it back and look at what happens. Most <laughs> of the time, if you do it hard enough, you might get a crack through the bed of coffee. But most of the time, what you see is separation between the coffee and the sidewall of the basket. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, most portafilter baskets have been listed as 58 millimeters, but they're actually a little bit larger. So since about 2007, I've been ordering oversized tampers to really fill the area of the filter basket. And generally, I'll go with 58.2, 58.3. If you go any larger than that, you can get suction, where if you tamp and pull the tamper out really quickly, you 
basically suck the whole puck of coffee up with it because there's no air on the sides. In the last few years, you've kind of had these size wars with things like the original uh, Perg Tamp that Pullman made and then the Pullman Big Step, and you've got diameters of, you know, 58.5, 58.6 sometimes. And to combat suction, they have either a flared shape or a step, as in the Big Step. Now, this idea was really intriguing to me. I talked with Adam Metalman creator of the big step a lot about it and we've been using big steps for the past you know since we started the company actually and what we've kind of discovered over time is that though they have these built-in mechanisms to combat suction i still can't go as fast as i want i still can't rip the tamper out of the porta filter with as much speed as i want to and not get suction so with this we were trying to find what that middle ground was between having a slightly oversized piston and not getting a ton of suction. And we settled back in to what I had been traditionally ordering. So this is a 58.3 millimeter piston. It gives a good feel in the basket. You're getting a lot of surface area, but you're not gonna get that aggressive suction if you love to rip through coffee the way I like to, and the way most production baristas do. So what the convex tamper is for is to, while you have some pressure pushing, pushing down, you have that pressure pushing out to the side. So you're pushing into the wall of the basket a little more in an effort to create a better seal between seal. the coffee and the wall. That sounds like a good thing. And I, that's a big deal, that seal for me. So where I, when I was doing competitions, I always used a convex tamper. Mm -hmm. Now the flip side of that is when you're extracting coffee, you want the most even bed of coffee possible. Um, to where, you know, if you have too much convex, you have a bed that's noticeably thinner in the middle and noticeably thicker on the sides where the coffee meets the basket. And then you have the potential for an uneven extraction. Now. This gets really dorky because some people will go in and be like, ah, you know, even when you tamp, like with the convex, like if you've seen some of the glass portafilter videos, some of that is mitigated by, you know, when you have pre-infusion and the nine bar hits it, like that dip isn't really as big of a deal. And some people have done kind of a different version of the best of both worlds where you have like Reg Barber has a C, what they call a C flat, where it is angled on the side and flat on the bottom. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. What I, I really love the convex feel and the feedback of it. And I'm like, what's the next level of that? And what we have on this thing is basically, not basically, it is a piston with a compound radius. So if you imagine, and that's inspired by like a, like a guitar neck to where it's not a perfect U, it's got these different radius things going on within it. So mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. a sharper radius at the edge of the piston, and then it tapers down in the middle, and it never gets completely flat. If you were looking at it, you might think it does because it's so minor, but you never have that break between flat and angle. Jared's laughing at me right now. I was now. thinking it's minor chord, actually. Minor chord. That <laughs> made me laugh. It's a throwback video. And, you know, that was something that was like just like in my head I'm like I think this is possible and the cool thing about you know 
working with you and even bringing the idea to to with Nick and kicking it around in the first place is you were like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, let's let's figure it out. And that was something that I hadn't heard from anybody else because I'd talked to other people about making tampers and I'd asked for things that I, I don't understand the manufacturing process. You know, you do. Like, you understand how to take something concept and like, okay, let's make this into a reality. Like you said, when you're talking about purity of concept, like let's make this into something that feels like the original concept that resonates on that level. We don't have to make it, like dumb it down for mass production. And what I kind of found out talking to other people is I would either get like a, no, that's too hard. Or like, we actually don't have like that kind of a relationship with the people that we do manufacturing for. And it's, you know, like the manufacturing was much further removed from the design process than I had like anticipated. So basically my whole collection of custom tampers is like I have a lot of tampers that are basically the production version of that tamper with a slimmer piston because that's all that could be done for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this bigger vision wasn't able to be realized until I brought it to someone who's like intrigued by it and also understood what the hell was happening and didn't see it as like, a, oh, this is going to be like, you know what? I do like this many production units and this is going to be kind of like a pain in the butt to like put into production. So it's like, it's just not going to work out. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> so like I, in, in some sense, like having that dialogue with you was in, in, incredibly refreshing. And also like the fact that you hadn't been in the industry for an incredibly long time was cool too. Cause we're on this kind of journey of, of discovery together yep. and trying to figure out what's going to work and what's what's not going to work and how it's going to be. And the other thing, which was really throwing a wrench in the system before, was like made in the USA, like yep. American-made product. Like it's, yeah, you can make it cheaper going overseas. I don't think, depending on what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with manufacturing overseas, but this is, again, like, connecting with the emotional essence of the product and like creating something that like you're really proud of and you know where it comes from you know who made it you know who's building it like and it's just god i'm just going on this whole diatribe right now <laughs> like, <laughs> i can understand good. why though the yeah, understand yeah. all the why and it was it was funny because some of the things that i never would have thought of you were just kind of throwing out there like you were like you know i know this guy Right. Well, that's an East Coast thing. I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. And I was like, oh, shit, he's going to kill me. This is it. It's done. Just sign right here, and we can make this happen. Exactly. I, knew, I knew it had to look Don't good, be. right? And you're like, I know this guy who does this, this crazy anodizing. This yeah. cra- he's like, you know, you're showing me these pictures. What do you think of this? And I'm like, yeah. that is perfect. Like, yep. it, was, it was perfect, and I never had that vision in my head. I'm like, oh my god, how have I never seen this? Turns out it's really rare, kind of tricky, kind of yeah. tricky to do, totally. and like you got to know the guy that does it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn, let's do that. Oh my god, are you, is this for real? Like, can we actually do this? And so you know, if you're listening to this, go look at the pictures because this is Monday and it's out on Monday, and it, it, uh, incredible splash anodizing and like, yeah, it's cool. It just psychotic colors so i don't know where i'm going with all this but i'm kind of that's that's how it was made i've kind of listed a feature set and um let me go even one step nerdier you want me to go you're forgetting take take it so then we went down a path of tactility 
where we were sandblasting, etching, lasering for Grip Factor. Right. Remember that? Yeah. So there was a... Grip Factor. We got the Grip Factor going. (laughs) So, yeah, where we were looking at on texture, uh, I have a knife that is really... Mm. It's got a nice grip on it. And you were sending me different rods that were bead blasted to different textures. I was like, it would be cool if it wasn't super slippery. You know, you're like, well, check out these rods. Well, you know... How does this feel? How does that feel? How does that feel? I'm like, okay, this one feels the best. What is it going to feel like when we anodize over it? And then the the etching. Most people who do etching, like when you get a custom tamper, it'll be powder coated or anodized, and then they'll etch into that, which looks fine. But what it does functionally is it opens up a weak point to where it's like now you have basically a hole in the anodizing. And if something's going to chip or if something's going to start to peel, it's going to start at that point. Um, So we did the etching beforehand and then anodize over the top of it. And the purpose of the etching isn't really just to see the logo that's there. It's at the center point of the tamper, which is where you would pick it up. So where you would grip it with your thumb and forefinger to pick it up, that etching gives you traction. Mm-hmm. That's like the, the grippiest part of the tamper. So it's almost like grip tape on a skateboard. Right. Yep. So it's like, cool, I got it. It's in my hand. I'm not going to be like, whoa, slip, yep. got wet, whatever. Like things are going to happen. Um, I have so many prototypes. I'm sure you have more than I do. And to do these things that are seemingly simple takes a lot of R&D because there's a perfect there's a perfect depth of, you know, how deep do we want to laser engrave this thing to where we retain a certain amount of traction, but it's not over the top to where it doesn't fill in when you anodize it and it just kind of it's it's perfect. And you know, the bead blasting too. It's like, okay, like it's you're constantly balancing this like you're removing material and you're putting material on yep, so exactly. you know you're you're bead blasting which is removing it you're anodizing it you're putting it back on how 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 thick does that end up being to where it like interacts with the the piston and the uh, end cap of it mm-hmm. too and because the 440 is its own tricky process yes, too because yes. one of the things that nick kind of warned me about is like it's tricky to do because yeah. the way that the steel expands and contracts when that's going in, you basically have to do all of the milling ahead of time and then you heat treat it because if you mill it post heat treating, it is ridiculously yeah. hard to mill because it is so incredibly hard. Yeah. So you got to be really precise about like every little measurement that you do. Yeah. And, and I didn't even tell you this in the production. So none of them fit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what ended up, so the, the way heat treating works, like you were mentioning, is it you heat the steel red hot, so you expand it, and then it shrinks. And the ability to control that expansion and contraction is, you know, part art, part science, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mystery. So, um, so when you, you have the aluminum that's constant, and then you're expanding the threads and then shrinking them, all the top pieces fit fine, but then we had to go back in and retap the threads on the bottom. Piston. Oh, really? Yeah, because you just can't control it. And I think to your point, you know, it's about the relationship with the manufacturers. It's about making it in the U.S. It's about working with people who know what you don't know. All the things that we were talking about earlier, 
right? And you bring all this experience together and you get there, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a dilution of concept through the manufacturing process. It's an amplification of the concept mm -hmm. through the manufacturing process, which is, which is what, what we got. It's amazing. That's pretty, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, dude, I've got I'm, to play with it. It's very you, fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Good. I'm excited about it. I'm really grateful because I've, oh, fuck. I felt so bad every time I would call you because I'm not blind. I don't know what it's like, but I'm not blind to the amount of work that it takes yeah. to interact with someone who's incredibly particular and, like, has a, of kind of a wild vision and to turn that into a reality. And I don't know what the work looks like on your end, but I know it's not as easy as I'm going to send my guy some files and he's going <laughs> to send me some stuff back, you know? Right. There are things that you can make like that, but not at this level of, of detail, not at, not at this level yeah. of execution. So every time I was like, man, what are we doing? can we admit this is like a little bit off? And I was just like, so scared. And you were just, you're like, Hey man, we're good. Like, this is great. Like, this is gonna be awesome. Like I'm, I'm in it. I'm in deep. I'm not yeah. gonna tell you how many hours I'm in, but I'm good. We're fine here. <laughs> I, think I, I think I requested coffee. I'm just, just like seven coffee. Yeah, yeah. Keep me going. Straight to the main vein, please. Oh, it's so I'm, man. I'm super. I'm super proud to kind of bring this thing into yeah. the world. And it's just like a huge, you know, COVID like put a big yeah. dent in what we were doing because we started talking about it right before and then yep. everything was just poof. Yeah. Like manufacturing wasn't really going and people were just kind of on their own little journey too. So everyone's yeah. world kind of got shook up, but we came through the cloud. So we have this thing. So go, go check it out. I mean, so let's take this full, let's yep. finish this circle. Yeah. Yep. What's it called? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Everything <laughs> needs a name, right? <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah, it's not it's just a tamper, so it's got to have a name. Dial. And where do you get it? It's the dial tamper. Okay. Nice. Which, oh man, nice. I think it's the it's it's a great name. I yeah, it is. Obviously, I'm I'm, you know, trying to stay. Dialed. I'm, I'm trying to stay dialed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can get it at art. Presso, it's artpressodesign.com. Yep. I wanted yep. to get the full URL in there. And, or catandcloud.com. So we're both co-launching it. We both split the order. You can get them at either place. And for now, that's, that's where it exists. And, you know, it's not cheap. But it's way cheaper than it probably should be. And mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. It makes you feel... A That's certain it. kind of way. That's it. <laughs> it's true. And, it. if, you know, I am so excited to see if people start posting pictures of someone, you know, like picture of the box, taking it out of the box, like, yep. you know, unwrapping it. It's like, it's like if you're going to get yourself a present, holy shit, this yeah. is a good one to get. And, yeah, I'm stoked. I actually, you have the final in your trunk right now. Yes, because I hand carried them. Yeah, hand carried them. Dude, so. I'm so I'm so pumped, and I don't even know where to go from there. But I mean, we should probably just go look at them in real life right now right. and celebrate. Is what we should do. There you go. I mean, what was just to tie this off with a yep. bow? Like, what was the process like on on your end? You know, to deal with this obnoxious forty year old kid. Yeah, no. It was, I mean, what I liked about what you were doing was. Um, was how do I want to word this? I would just say deliberate understanding of what the end goal was, mm. right? And that kind of matched with me, right? Where where it was like, hey, you know, doing this this corporate job and every, everything's about 
understanding um, how to put things through this giant machine and appeal to the masses and, and all that stuff. And, and there's a place for that. But what I liked about you is that you were constantly on, you had a clear vision of what you wanted, what you needed, and, and you weren't going to compromise it. Like, you were nice, but I couldn't change your mind, right? <laughs> right, like, let's, Sounds about like, right. Like, let's be honest. Sounds about right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, I was like, you know, I tried this and this and this, and here's five samples, and you're like, yeah, thank you, not quite right. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool, let me go back. Here's three samples. Uh, thank you, not quite right, right? Um, and so it's all good because I, I looked at it as – I didn't look at it as um, – is is just criticism right i looked at it as um problems to be solved go, you know going full right. circle right and in, and it was what i said earlier right it was it was you saw things differently than i saw things and when you put somebody who understands the nuances of of espresso making with somebody who understands the nuances of of manufacturing and who knows a guy, right? You can yes. get great results, right? And I think going going a little bit more full circle, we were talking about it earlier, right? Um, anybody can do anything, right? I can I can build anything, post anything, or, or you know, I, I and so when. When everybody has the same toolkit, when everybody has the same accessibility to manufacturing, what, what separates um, great product from good product is what you did and what I did, right? And I think what you did was you were extremely focused and deliberate in what you wanted. And what I did was understand the language. It's, an, it's like a foreign language, mm -hmm. the language of manufacturing, right? Because the difference between the dream and a reality or an idea and an innovation is your ability to execute against it, right? And if you can't execute against it, then it never becomes realized, right? So you are unruling in your approach. I was ridiculous in my approach. The people who made the product, we know them by name um, because I had to do favors for them because I was <laughs> aggravating, <laughs> aggravating them. So uh, it's all good, right? Uh, by the way, I promised I promise a multi-million dollar production order next week. So. Perfect. <laughs> no pressure. That's as good a place as any kidding. band, I think. Sign up for my class. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's a wrap right there. 